You said thanks be to God to that? Yeah, absolutely, right. I'll try to explain why we would say thanks be to God for that. On March 16th this year, Aaliyah Destager, I'm probably killing her name, but she wrote an article for USA Today that said the pandemic took so much this past year, more than we are capable of grasping, let alone tallying, but the pandemic gave too. It granted time, and many people relished it. People found new hobbies, new perspectives, new connections. Some people found themselves. And then she goes on to report specific examples of people who experienced growth during COVID time. During the shutdown is maybe what I should say. For one woman, she became closer with her sisters as they talked regularly over the computer. For one man, he started to express creativity more than he ever had his whole life through art. Another used the time and pace of pan pandemic life to focus on his sobriety. One woman found a deeper peace than she'd ever known in her whole life, and she found it through gardening. Did you stumble into, or perhaps very intentionally, take on a new thing, a new hobby, a new perspective, a new interest? I kind of wish we had time, actually, to hear everybody's experiences of the new things that popped up in our less busy lives. A Jesus follower is constantly asking, where is God in all this? And I think we might get some clarity about what God's been up to amidst the chaos of COVID by listening to these experiences that we've had. I heard one mom tell me, my family ate dinner with each other, like at the table, more often than we ever have before. And when we did, those meals went longer than usual because there weren't a bunch of things to, to get to and to do and to go, 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 go like usual. And I listened to one story from an author, Adam Grant, whose kids and their cousins, his sister and brother-in-law too, they all live very far apart. But he said they started to have a weekly Mario Kart tournament. They'd play this video game where it could be split screen where I'm here and you're there in California or whatever, and they'd have a huge tournament between kids and their aunts and uncles. And he talked about the quantity of time leading then even outside of that weekly tournament into a quality of conversation that then has led to a depth of relationship all through playing a video game that his extended family has never enjoyed before. And as I've read and heard about these kinds of stories, I've thought about in my own house. We did a few of these things ourselves. Maybe you have too. Zoom conversations with faraway family and friends. I subscribed about three months into the shutdown. I subscribed to a cooking app and I got good at a few really fancy recipes. I'd never tried that before. And Carla, with the help of some friends, she did something she'd never done. She started tending to a new pet, sourdough. Who knew that sourdough was such a high-maintenance creature? You got to feed it. You got to take it out every now and then or it's going to die. There's all sorts of living bread metaphors to make with sourdough. But all I really want to say about sourdough is this. Fresh, warm sourdough is really, really good, right? It's good. Like, when God is finished creating creation and then takes a day off, a day we would call Sabbath, I imagine God having the same kind of emotion 
for that which God has created as a baker has as they tear off that first piece of a fresh, warm loaf of sourdough. You know, like, this is good. Very good. If she was going to go to the trouble of making one loaf, Carla would almost always make two. The first one got gobbled up almost immediately by our family of five, and then oftentimes she'd give the second one away. But sometimes we'd keep the second loaf. I remember one day getting toward lunchtime, and I started to think about it. I don't know if this ever happens to you, but sometimes I get so focused on something I want to eat that it starts to dominate my mind. Like, I'm trying to write a sermon, and this has happened many times actually here before. I know that just outside my door are iced sugar cookies. Tamara does this to our office every now and then, and those stupid little cookies are perfect. I don't want one. I want all of them. Well, that's how I felt one day working from home about a ham and cheese sandwich on sourdough. I was trying to put off lunch, actually, hoping I'd want a salad instead, eventually, as I tried to hold off this urge for a ham and cheese on that perfect sourdough. But the longer, of course, I put it off, the further the salad got from my mind. So I finally gave in, and I went to the kitchen, and I got the bread knife out, and I got the ham and the cheese and the mustard, and then I decided, you know what, I'm just going to go all out. I'm going to butter that bread and grill it, you know, nice on the stovetop so that the cheese gets nice and melty, right? It's COVID time. We deserved these calorie bombs, right? Am I the only one that did this? No? Okay. So I've got everything out, and I open the bread drawer, and I grab that sourdough, and it is green. It is fuzzy green mold over the last quarter of what was left from when Carla had baked that bread whenever it was that she baked that loaf of bread. And it was not good. Very not good. God calls the church to be bread for the world. When the congregation is sent from worship back into the community, wherever it is you go from here, not just today, but for the rest of your week, one of the sending phrases we use is, you are the body of Christ, which is a pretty amazing thing to say, of course. After Jesus ascends to the heavenly places to be with God the Father, whatever that means for Jesus and however that works for Jesus, what it means for us is that followers of Jesus step into his worldly role, a role that feeds the hungry, a world that feeds a hungry, merciless world with kindness, a role that heals the embittered world with forgiveness, a role that brings hope and peace and joy to a world that dwells in bad news and scandal and mistrust. At our best, the church, like a fresh, warm loaf of sourdough in the midst of a pandemic, is good, very good for a world in need. But the church can spoil. This section of the Gospel of Mark that we just heard from is speaking to how to keep the church from going bad. And Mark doesn't communicate here in terms that are easy to miss. As C. Clifton Black, one of my favorite biblical commentators says, sometimes you have to make your vision apparent when you're communicating with someone by shock, 
To the hard of hearing, sometimes you got to shout. For the almost blind, you might draw large and startling pictures. Well, for Mark, he's doing his version of shouting. In Mark 9, 42 to 50, the parts where Jesus says, it would be better for a person to have a millstone wrapped around their neck and thrown into the sea than be a stumbling block to a fellow believer. The part where Jesus says, amputate or tear out that part of your body if it causes your self to stumble. He's saying in this part of Mark, Jesus uses shock to jolt his followers out of smug self-complacency or shameless indecency. Jesus is trying to equip his followers then and us now to understand our role as bread for the world and to understand that as much as bread can feed, it can also go bad. Jesus knows the fellowship of believers can feed mercy, heal with forgiveness, bring hope and peace, but he also knows the fresh, warm loaf that is the church can go bad by becoming a bunch of selves. Just before today's text, the disciples and Jesus, they've just come home to Capernaum after a decent length journey, and Jesus asked them, what were you bickering about on the way? It's a question that oftentimes a parent might ask their children. What are you bickering about now, right? And the disciples admitted they had been arguing over who is the greatest. That is exactly the kind of question that brings rot to the church. Jesus responds, you know, whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. I imagine the disciples, if they were like teenagers, would be like, that teaching to be a servant to not waste your time on trying to get your self elevated to the title of the greatest, that lesson is at the heart of what Jesus then says about the church in our text for today, what he'll say about family right after that, what he'll say about all of society right after that. How can the believing community remain a fresh, warm loaf for the sake of the world? The answer at the end of our text today is by having salt. Jesus ends our text by saying, salt is good. Have salt in yourselves. Be at peace with one another when you do. Salt here is equated with self-sacrifice, being a servant, not trying to be the greatest. That's been the, the theme for a while in Mark. Take up your cross and follow me. Be a servant of all. And remember, there are no refrigerators in these days. The only way to preserve something is to make sure it has salt. So when he says, have salt in yourselves, he's saying, preserve yourselves. Don't go bad getting green and fuzzy. For the church, the way to preserve our many individual selves is to put myself into a bread for the world by engaging in the spiritual practice of self-sacrifice. Self-sacrifice is the preserving salt of the church. What the church is trying to avoid is being a, a bunch of individual selves. Sacrifice yourself. Become a part of the whole loaf is the lesson Jesus is trying to teach. The world, of course, tells us the exact opposite of this. 
The world says, concern yourself with only yourself. Focus on you, your individual. Only think about your own health, your own finances, your own neighborhood, your own nation. Current iterations of this moldy wisdom include idioms like, greed is good, or the idea that I have complete control over my health. And then there's the infamous and newer, you do you. That attitude, when it gets into the church, is how the church changes from a unified gift of self-sacrificing grace to just another divided group of people, like any other worldly institution. In the church, it isn't you do you, it's we do us, which means each of us becomes a servant of all. Each of us, instead of looking for reasons to exclude other Jesus followers, for example, like when John, in this story, he tells Jesus, you know, I tried to stop this other guy from doing work in your name because he wasn't doing it right. He wasn't doing it the way we would have done it. And Jesus says, you know what, instead of looking for reasons to exclude and divide, accept each other in the church as different parts of one whole loaf. Let mercy be done in my name, however mercy can be done. Have salt in yourselves, church. Sacrifice yourself, and when you do, you will be at peace with one another. You know what makes this good news for me? I've wondered from time to time whether the church has taken on mold. And I don't just mean First Lutheran, but I mean like the whole church, 2,000 years after our start. You know, some of us may remember newspapers or bookstores, or how about when you used to have a, a landline telephone in your house, like attached to a wall? Like there used to be a, a spot in a house for a phone, and now each one of us, almost all of us, have one on our person. Things become obsolete, and I've wondered sometimes whether the spot in our culture for the church, maybe that spot got filled with other stuff. Maybe the church is obsolete. And to some extent, spots the church sat in before have been filled by other things. I saw on a recent, on this day in First Lutheran history, those excellent little vignettes that we've been putting on social media. I saw that at one point, First Lutheran had 400-some kids in Sunday school. Did anybody else see this? There's a big picture right on the other side of this wall with like hundreds of children standing for a Sunday school picture. And I'll hear stories of what Luther League and, and youth group used to look like. But of course, all of those stories came before show choir and dance and hockey and year-round basketball. And I could go on for a very long time. Other stuff took over not only our kids' schedules, but their drivers, their parents. The church can't be the social center it once was for a little sliver of time. So to that extent, I suppose the church has become like the telephone. But thank God, God doesn't call the church to simply be a social club. This is not a cruise ship where we're all just trying to have a nice time. To be a place where members network. Instead, we're called to sacrifice ourselves 
in an effort to be bread for the world together. Maybe bread for those other kids in our show choir. Maybe bread to other dancers on stage, to our teammates on the floor. Bread for our coworkers. Bread for our extended family, our friends. Maybe bread even for our enemy neighbors, those grumpy neighbors. The good news is that as we consider whether the church has a place in the world of 2021, we can always remember that together, we can be made to feed the hungry, merciless world with our kindness, heal the embittered world with our forgiveness, bring hope and peace and joy to a world that loves to dwell in bad news and scandal and mistrust. At our best, when we sacrifice ourselves, the church like a fresh, warm loaf of sourdough in the midst of a pandemic is good, very good for a world in real need. Thanks be to God. Amen.